Great. Good morning, everybody. Am I on the air? Yeah. Testing. Okay. Lovely. It's great to be back uh, meeting together as church-wise, isn't it, rather than all just online. I realize some are online and hello, um, but it's lovely to be back together. We take it so much for granted, and then when we lose it for a season, we realize how much we actually miss one another and appreciate fellowship, and uh, it's lovely to be with you today. Now, it is um, Remembrance Sunday, and uh, it's a time when we remember those who've given their lives in service of this nation and lost their lives fighting for this country and the various wars that we've been involved in. And I want to speak today about one who gave their life in the battle of all time, laid down his life in surrender to the will of the Father to save you and me from the ultimate enemy, which is sin and death. And it is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us today to speak about God's peace treaty with mankind. God's peace treaty. And there's a verse in the Bible, <clears throat> in Galatians, which sums it up very well. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, May I never boast, except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what you boast about in life. I wonder today what is your biggest boast. Maybe it's your children. I was at a bonfire party last week and there was somebody whose daughter has done very well, become very famous. And all night they just talked about their daughter, which is wonderful, but that was their boast in life. They boasted about their daughter. Maybe for you it's your children. Maybe it's your new job. Maybe it's your football team, Paul Endersby, which are doing quite well this year. We're not quite there yet, but uh, no, doing very well. Maybe it's your job, your new car. What is it today that you're boasting about? Because one of the, the cleverest men who ever lived said this, May I never boast of anything except in the cross. Now we'd have to say, why on earth would somebody boast in the cross? Because the cross was the capital punishment which the Romans used. It was outlawed by Constantine in the fourth century, but it was a barbaric, horrible, horrible way of capital punishment. And here's this intelligent man saying, that's the thing I'm going to boast about. We can see that the cross is used today. If we see on our, um, some of our war graves, we see crosses everywhere. We see in the center of Hailsham, <clears throat> We see a cross, a war memorial. And as I drove here today, we could see various crosses. I have one with me today, a cross. Why a cross? Why a picture of capital punishment which the Romans used, which was so barbaric that people weren't even allowed to talk about the, the cross in polite company? 
because it was so degrading, it was so awful, it was used for the worst, worst sort of people. Why? What a morbid lot these Christians are to go around boasting about capital punishment. I've even seen people wear crosses around their neck. I've seen others have earrings with crosses on them. Maybe you've got some of those. Are Christians bonkers? Is he out of his mind? Why would anybody say such a thing? They would think you're an absolute crazy person if you suddenly turned up with a a noose and said, I'm going to boast about the noose. Or if you turned up at a graveyard with an electric chair, I said, I'm going to boast about the electric chair. Or the French, the guillotine. Or the Japanese, the sword. Let me boast about that for the rest of my life. What a weird, weird lot. And yet this is not a cross, any cross. This is not a picture just of capital punishment. It is a particular cross. It is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to boast about it for four reasons. And this is the first reason, is because it is first and foremost It is a demonstration of God's love. You know, we're in a day where people say, I wonder what love is. A man says to a girl, I want to to marry you. I love you. A year's time, he's with someone else. You think, well, how did that happen? And in the Bible, it's because we've forgotten what love is. And the Bible tells us in this is the love of God made manifest. In this is God's love made clear, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. You see, in the Bible, it is a demonstration. Love is a demonstration, a commitment to a person. That's how love is defined in the Bible, as a commitment And this is how God defines love. In this is love. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. For me. For you. There was a Roman Catholic priest. And he was leading the service. And he noticed through this service that there were three boys... And they're all laughing and geeing one another and pulling one another's leg and laughing all the way through the service. And he just carried on with his service. And right at the very end, he said to these three boys, he said, "Um, just before you go, he said, I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to kneel down before the cross. And in the Roman Catholic Church, it was a crucifix. He said, I want you to kneel down before that cross, that crucifix, and say this, all for me, and I don't care less. The first one just knelt down and said, all for me, I don't care less, ran out the door. The second one knelt down, and he said, all for me. And suddenly, he realized that Jesus had died for him. When he looked to the third boy, The third boy was already in tears because he realized that God's love was displayed. We've heard it already coming through the readings this morning, that God's love is first of all displayed through the cross. 
Paul says, I'm going to boast in the cross because it is a demonstration of the love of God. Secondly, not only is it a demonstration of God's love, but it also is a demonstration of God's peace treaty, his terms of peace with you and me. You see, the cross deals with the number one problem of mankind. You will never find peace with anybody until you, first of all, find peace with God. I found when I became a Christian and made my peace with God, lots of funny relationships and hostile relationships were suddenly sorted out. I suddenly realized, oh, I'm the one who needs to change, not everybody else. God showed me a few home truths about me. He said, oh dear. And I realized I had to say sorry to people. I remember, I'll tell you this story, just reminded of it. I was an 11-year-old boy, and I made a sling, and I found some beautiful pebbles. And I went outside the house, and I got these pebbles, and I got the sling going, and I threw this sling with this pebble, and it went straight through the neighbor's window. And I disappeared around the back garden to play in the fish pond, as a, you know, play with the fish and feed the fish, as though nothing had happened. About 20 minutes later, my mother came home from work, and there was a little crowd of people outside. So I went outside, and they said, something's happened to Mr. Julie's window. Somebody's thrown a stone through the window. Do I know who it is? I said, no, I've been in the back garden. The next day, Mr. Julie came up to me. He looked me in the eyes. He said, Stephen, do you know anything about that pebble that went through my window? I said, no, <laughs> not a thing. And he said, okay, and he walked away. When I was at Southampton University, I realized Jesus died for me on the cross. I realized that there were lots of things in my life I needed to sort out and ask for forgiveness for. I asked God to forgive me, and he immediately forgave me. I felt his peace. And at Christmas time, I had to go home, and I remembered Mr. Julie. I could never look Mr. Julie in the face again. And I felt God say to me, go and apologize. <laughs> I knocked on Mr. Julie's door. I thought, oh, I hope he's not there. He opened the door. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. How nice to see you. I went in, and I'm thinking to myself, please don't, don't be nice to me. <laughs> Come and sit down. Have a cup of tea. How are you getting on at university? So I sat there politely, and then I said, do you remember some years ago a pebble went through your front window? He said, oh yes, we've never forgotten it. <laughs> so I said, it was me, it was me. Do you know what he said? I knew that all along. <laughs> I knew it was you. And suddenly I'm carrying all this guilt, unable to talk to Mr. Julie, suddenly it's gone. Our number one problem is not other people. Our number one problem is our own relationship with God, <clears throat> is sin. The Bible tells us it is the things which we have done wrong. You see, sin isn't just a list of things that you've done wrong. Sin is actually an attitude towards God. It's a hatred of God. The Bible tells us it's a lifestyle. It's not wanting to have anything to do with God at all. Frank Sinatra summed it up beautifully. I did it my way. That's how I did it, my way. 
not God's way. We're estranged, we're distant, we're alienated, we're strangers, hostile. The Bible even says we're enemies towards God. We use his name for a curse. We hit our thumb with the the hammer and we say, Jesus Christ. What? Why not Margaret Thatcher? (laughs) Why not Julius Caesar? Why not Napoleon? Why, I hear it all the time. You know exactly what I mean. Maybe you've done it. I used to do it. We use his name as a curse word. We're not his friends. The Bible says we're enemies. We're coming near to Christmas, and we find at Christmas time this, that Jesus came to his very own people, and his own people did not receive him. They actually tried to kill him. At one time, they took him to a cliff to try and push him over. And another time, they picked up stones to stone him to death because he spoke the truth and said he was the son of God. And in the end, they crucified him. They nailed him to a cross and did away with him. You may say to me today, I'm not a sinner. And what we do, we often compare ourselves to the worst sort of people and think that we've done nothing wrong at all. We can think we're rather a good person. I was on holiday this year in in Tenby in Wales. We went into this restaurant for a cup of coffee and this lady kept looking at me. And I looked round to see what she was looking at, but she was looking at me. And she kept staring at me. And then she leant over and she says, excuse me. And I said, yes. She said, you look just like my granddad. (laughs) So I said, oh, really? And then I realized in Wales, I said, oh, your granddad. And I said, was your granddad part of the Welsh revival? She said, I think he was. She said he was quite a religious man. And so I turned it around and said, how about you? What will happen to you when you die? And she looked at me. She said, no one's ever asked me that before. She said, I said, do you know that you'll go to heaven? She said, well, I'm a good person. I know know where I'm going. I'm a good person. Maybe that you think you're a good person because all you do is compare yourself to Hitler. You compare yourself to Pol Pot. You compare yourself to some rapist, some murderer. And you think, I'm not as bad as them. Actually, we're called in the Bible to compare ourselves to Jesus. And when we do that, we actually find that we fall a long way short of the standards of Jesus Christ. But the good news of the Bible is this. That once we were aliens, once we were alienated from God, we were his enemies in our minds, because of our behavior. But the Bible says this, but now he has reconciled us by the death of Christ. He came and he made peace through the blood which he shed on the cross. Jesus has come to make peace with mankind, with you and me, who were once aliens, estranged, separated from God. He came and he reached out his hand like the superwoman reached through the line and pulled us in and he did it through the blood of the cross can you say amen Amen. that's exactly what he's done he says this the apostle Paul writes this but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ and again while we were sinners Christ died for us 
He died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. In his well-known book, Miracle on the River Kwai, Ernest Gordon, he speaks about a true story which happened in the Second World War while they were building the Burma Railroad. That as the prisoners at the end of the day collected up their shovels and counted the shovels, there was one shovel that was missing. And the Japanese guard said, one shovel missing? Who did it? Stand forward. And no one moved. And then he got himself into a frenzy, into a frantic rage. He cocked his rifle, he held it, and he said, you all die, all die. Suddenly one man just stood forward. I did it. And the guard went up to him and they clubbed him to death. When they got back to the camp, they did a recount of all of the shovels. They found out that there actually wasn't a shovel missing. They'd made a mistake at the first count. That man had given his life to save the other people. He became a substitute. When I did my apprenticeship some years ago, I was in Derbyshire doing an engineering apprenticeship, and I noticed that in the store there was a man who had no legs. He just had two sort of metal metal caliper-type legs, I think, and the way that he moved, he swung his whole body like this. And you would order things from the store, and John would go, he's a lovely guy, and go and get it like this. And I said to somebody, I said, has John always been like that? Was he born like that? And they said, oh, no, 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 no. He said he used to be, actually be an amazing footballer. He said, one Sunday afternoon, he was out with his two children, going down a country lane, and this maniac of a driver came the other way, lost control of the car, and went straight towards his children. And he said, he dived, he said he dived and threw his children into a ditch. And as he did that, the car went straight over his legs and severed his legs. He substituted himself to save his children. My friend, that's exactly what Jesus has done. He pushed you out the way and me out the way who deserve the punishment and he, his, he himself bore his, our sins in his body on the tree. Paul says, I boast in the cross because it speaks of God's love. I boast in the cross because it's God's way of peace with mankind. Thirdly, I boast in the cross because of this, because of suffering. I don't know about you, but if it wasn't for the cross at the heart of Christianity, I would have a lot of problems with God. I would have a lot of philosophical problems with God with the violence, the wars, the famine, the greed, the injustice, the suffering. Where's God in all of this? Sometimes I go to Buddhist countries. You can see the Buddha there. 
And people put their pearls and their saffrons and their garlands around them. He has a smile. It seems so distant from the people in poverty on the streets. I used to go to India a lot. And they got three trillion gods there. And you can see the poor people come out and they put their their hard-earned money and they've bought an offering to give to the gods, to get saffron and flowers, and they they lay them at the feet of these, these gods. And they say to these statues, they say to them, you made me. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't worship statues because we become as daft as the thing we, we, you become what you worship. If you worship an idol, you become as daft as the idol. That's the argument of the Bible. And a lifeless statue so, seems so, so, so inadequate to help a starving person, a person in need. But when I come to see Jesus, I see him feeding the hungry. I see him touching the lepers. I see him opening the eyes of the blind. I see him unstopping the ears of the deaf. I see him at a funeral with the widow of Nain and raises the son. Her hope, her livelihood is gone when her son dies and Jesus suddenly brings hope. And that's what he can do with your life and mine. I see Jesus reaching out and touching the sick and the downcasts and the lonely. And then I see at the heart of Christianity the gnarled, twisted, broken body of the Son of God hanging on a cross. That's why I'm a Christian. Because at the heart of Christianity is the cross. He's a God who understands suffering to the nth degree. A Jesus who's been betrayed, who's been beaten, who's been mocked, who's been tortured, who's been humiliated, who's been forsaken, who's been murdered, who's been nailed to a cross. That's why I'm a Christian. I'm going to read just a little play, which is a a well-known play, and it just summarizes this. And it's called The Long Silence. You've probably heard it before. But it says this, At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them. But some groups near the front talked with hatred. Not with a cringing shame, but with a belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know anything about suffering? What we've had to go through snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open the sleeve on her arm to reveal a tattoo of a Nazi concentration camp. (laughs) We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a Negro boy lowered his collar. Look at this. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn around his neck, lynched for no crime but being black. In another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer? She, she murmured, it wasn't my fault I got raped. Far across the plain were hundreds of groups, each with a complaint against God for the evil and the suffering that they had 
to go through. And oh, how lucky God is to live in heaven where it's all sweetness and light, where there's no weeping, no fear, no hunger, no hatred. And what does God know about all that we had to go through, what man has had to be forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. And so each of the different groups sent forth a leader chosen because they'd suffered the most. A Jew, a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, a Thelodomide child. And in the center of the plain, they consulted with one another and at last they were ready to present their case to God. <laughs> it was quite clever. Before God can be qualified to be our judge, he must endure what we've had to endure, they demanded. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think that he's out of his mind if he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Yes, and let him be tortured. At last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone and then let him die. Let him die so that there can be no doubt that he is dead. And let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each one announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. And then suddenly, they saw Jesus with the nail prints in his hand, and the scars on his head. And they suddenly realized that God had already served his sentence here on earth and there was a long silence that's why I'm a Christian is because we have a God who understands human wickedness to the nth degree he understands suffering and he did something about it he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross to save mankind with all their wickedness hallelujah what a saviour. Paul says, I'm going to boast in the cross because it speaks of God's love. It's God's way of bringing peace to mankind. It speaks of God's suffering. But then fourthly, it's this. It also speaks about the power of God. I'll hang this on this nail here. Maybe you can see that. It speaks of God's power. You see, I mentioned earlier about a Roman Catholic priest and the crucifix. Actually, theologically, I believe that's inaccurate because Jesus is no longer on the cross. He has risen from the dead. He was 2,000 years ago, but Jesus is no longer on the cross. He is risen from the dead and he is alive forevermore. And he's here by his power today to help us in our need. You see, he's a very present help in our times of need. 
He's not distant. He's come near through the blood of Christ. He wants to meet you, sir. He wants to meet you and you. He wants to touch you in your loneliness. I can see somebody here who's deeply bereaved and just feels lonely. God wants to meet you in your loneliness. He wants to come and touch you deeply. He's that sort of God. We've heard that already. He has power to forgive. When I was in Heathfield, we had a coffee bar years ago, and one of the girls, who was quite well known in the town, she became a Christian, and her face changed. You know when a person becomes a Christian, their face changes, and her face became like a light. And she kept going around, she said... I just feel so clean. I just feel so clean. I, I just feel so clean. And for about a week, that's all she, all she said. I, I just feel so clean. I feel so clean. I feel so clean. God can clean you up. <laughs> He's cleaned me up. Anybody here is cleaned up? Oh, yes. Oh, don't we know. He can clean us up, all right. He can break addictions. I used to be addicted to smoking. used to smoke every day. When I became a Christian, I didn't give up smoking. I found smoking gave me up. I used to go down to the pubs and get drunk. I was carried out of more pubs, being drunk with all my mates. We used to get our salary on a, on a Friday. We used to go down the pub, blow it all, and just get drunk. By Monday morning, we were broke again. How many know what I mean? Oh, Yes. I felt God took away the desire just to get drunk and make an exhibition of myself. He took it away. He can deliver us. He can heal us. He can change us. He can change us by his power from, free, from fear. He can turn your fear to faith. He can heal your physical body. We had a man in our last church in Sydney. He had a, he had a wheat allergy. He wasn't allowed to um, eat certain foods. And we prayed for him. And he was instantly healed. He said, just to prove it, he said, I'm going down to McDonald's and I'm going to eat one of those burgers. And he did it. And he's been fine ever since. I could tell you loads of stories like that. We live in a new house in Hassocks. We had some uh, work done on the aerial of the TV. And as the engineer walked across the house, I felt God say to me, he's got a bad back. So I looked at him and I said, uh, have you got a bad back? He looked at me and he said, how do you know that? I said, God has just told me. So he looked at me. I said, would you like me to pray for you? He said, yes, pray for me while I write out the bill. <laughs> so I said, that's not what we had in mind. Um, I said, um, we normally lay hands on people. So he came over to me. He took his hat off. He said, I'm all yours. So I put my hand on his stomach I said where is the pain he said he said it starts in my stomach he says it goes down through my left testicle and it comes up my back I've been to specialist after specialist after specialist no one can do anything I put my hand on him and, he, and pray for him he went ooh, ooh. and then he said he said I feel I'm growing I'm growing and then the pain went and then he, he looked at me and he said I feel like dancing around the room I said be my guest you know <laughs> He went away saying, I think I was meant to come here today. I said, I think you were. <laughs> you see, God can touch you. He can touch me. 
He's reached out to us in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I glory in the cross. It's going to be my boast in life because it speaks of God's love. It speaks of God's peace plan for you and me. It speaks of a God who understands suffering and difficulty to the nth degree. But it also speaks about God's power, that he's got power to heal you, power to deliver you, power to save you from sin and death and raise you up with Jesus on the last day. Can you say amen? That's why I'm a Christian, because of the cross. Hallelujah. It may be this morning you've never made your peace with God. Maybe you've come to the remembrance service. Maybe you've never realized that Jesus died for you. We're going to give you a chance. Simon's going to come and lead us at prayer at the end for anybody who wants to respond, either to become a Christian and be born again, make your peace with God, anybody who would like to be prayed for for healing, or in any other particular area, Simon, I think Simon or Anna is going to come and lead us in that. <clears throat> and then we're going to conclude. It's been lovely to be with you. God wants to meet you. He's on your case and mine. Hallelujah. Amen.